All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Got the Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, Joe Rust, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson. Pretty new listeners to the Money Wise program. Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. When our 32nd year of business and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi, we have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast on Apple Podcast, where you can leave a comment and don't forget to like the show. was thinking about some topics from an educational standpoint and, and wanted, I came up with a title, I alluded to it just a little bit, but I wanted to talk about in this second hour of the things that Wall Street won't tell you. Now, to give a little bit of history of Davidson Capital Management, why our father, started our firm back in 1989 is he wanted to pull the curtain back on Wall Street. Pull the curtain back, bring integrity, honesty, ethics, transparency into the investor-advisor relationship. And in all of our years of business and all the hundreds upon hundreds and hundreds of portfolios, portfolio reviews we have done, we have come to just notice a very ongoing, consistent theme when we do these portfolio reviews. And we're doing portfolio reviews from prospective clients that have accounts at Merrill Lynch, Morgan Stanley, Ameriprise, Fidelity, Schwab, Edward Jones. I mean, you name any major uh, brokerage firm in this country that markets on television, print, ad, computer, what have you, follows you all across the internet, we have reviewed these types of portfolios. And over the last 30 plus years of being in business, we just see these very consistent themes recurring again and again and again in prospective clients' portfolios. And we talk about it from time to time during the first hour of the Weekend's Money Wise program throughout the years. But I wanted to dive a little bit deeper into this topic and really pulling the curtain back and talking about the things of what these big Wall Street firms are not going to be telling you as an investor. And as we've said from day one on the Money Wise program is that you always have to dig deeper. You you cannot take things for face value. You have to have your questions on hand when you're out there interviewing a prospective advisor that you're wanting to work with Or if you're already working with an advisor, questions that you need to go back and ask and get these answers. And if you're not receiving proper answers or answers that are just not making you feel very at ease, 
then maybe it's time for you to take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis to get that second opinion. And that's the purpose for us to be doing the portfolio reviews and analysis that we do and have been doing for the past 30 plus years is to give that second opinion to investors. So one of the first trends and themes that we're constantly seeing from all these major brokerage firms when we do portfolio reviews is portfolios that are just chalked full with a multitude of exchange-traded funds and mutual funds. And when I say chalked full, I can take an example of prospective client's portfolio who was working with Fidelity. And in one account, not only had over 30 exchange-traded funds, but had over 25 mutual funds. So we're talking over 50 individual positions in either mutual funds or exchange-traded funds. And the first question that comes to my, my mind is, why? Why do you need so many? Why is this shotgun blast approach where tiny bits of this prospective client's assets were allocated to such a vast, large number of exchange-traded funds and mutual funds. So one thing you have to remember about exchange-traded funds, for, you know, by and large, the exchange-traded funds that we invest in and we see that in these other organizations invest in, uh, they are in, in and of themselves diversified investments. They have hundreds of different securities inside, say, an individual exchange-traded fund. Same holds true for mutual funds. They can contain hundreds of different investments. So when you have a portfolio that has 50, 60 different exchange-traded funds and mutual funds, and each one of those exchange-traded funds and mutual funds holds 100-plus securities, well, you can imagine, well, that's it just if you each one of them held 100 securities and you had 50 different positions, that would be 5,000 different securities. Now, they don't actually own 5,000 different securities in, in all of these uh, exchange traded funds and mutual funds combined. What they end up what ends up happening is is there is so much overlap when you look at the portfolio in totality. They, they might have 10 different exchange-traded funds and mutual funds that invest in the exact same asset class, which mean, mean like large-cap growth stocks or small-cap growth stocks or mid-cap growth stocks or value stocks, so on and so on and so on. And so at the end, at the end our opinion is when we see a portfolio like this, to, to us, what it appears is it appears to be marketing more than anything because it's not really serving the client. It's, it, it's, it's over diversification in names, but it's really over, it's just so totally over diversified. It makes no sense to, to design a portfolio this way, except for one reason, and that is marketing in well, our opinion. And into marketing, that also is appearance. Right. to appear as if they're doing more right. in your portfolio than what they actually are. Because at Davidson Capital Management, if you're in our asset builder program where we own nothing but exchange-traded funds and no-load mutual funds, we don't have 25 different exchange-traded funds or mutual funds. 
you know, there's been times where we've had maybe up to nine, maybe 10, sometimes seven. What we do as portfolio managers, as in-house money managers, is we vet each and every one of the positions, each one of the exchange-traded funds and mutual funds to determine if they're, in our opinion, from our analysis and research, the best of breed for the respective asset class that we want represented in the portfolio at this particular time. And so I want to hold right there, and we'll pick up this conversation on the other side of the break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts, where you can leave your comments, and don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning in for this weekend's Money Wise program, we'll continue with investor education and talking about what Wall Street won't tell you. And so before we went to break, talking about portfolios that we have reviewed that just have a multitude of exchange-traded funds and mutual funds, a, a situation where you get over-diversified in a portfolio and why these major brokerage firms across the country do this. And in our opinion, it is for marketing. It is to appear as if they're doing more work in a client's portfolio than they actually are. And so before we went to break, I was talking about the process that we go through inside of our asset builder program, where we own nothing but uh, no load mutual funds and exchange traded funds. And these are for clients that have less than a million dollars of investable assets in one singular account. Now, when we go through our process, we're looking for best of breed. So when we're looking for a large cap growth manager, we're sending the large cap growth actively managed no load mutual fund managers through our gauntlet. They're going through our proprietary process of research and analysis, utilizing our 70 plus years of combined experience here at Davidson Capital Management to find what we consider the best of breed large cap growth manager for that particular asset class period. Not two of them, not three, not six, but the best. Now, once we make a selection of that particular no-load mutual fund for that particular asset class, they will then be continuously vetted to ensure that they're adhering to why we have selected them to be inside of the portfolio for our clients. So we're going to be looking at consistency of style. We're going to be looking at the portfolio and the information we can ascertain. What are their top 10 holdings? How concentrated or unconcentrated are they? What holdings do they own? Do we continue to agree with their investment management philosophy? So once we buy this position, it's not just buy and forget it. We're going to be constantly sending it through our gauntlet. And if for some reason it falls out of our criteria through our proprietary system, guess what? They get sold. They get sold. So it's not just buy and hold. We're buying and it's constant homework. Joe, I know you wanted to say something. Well, sure. And I think going through this process and working quite a bit in the 401k space, we have our process already set up to where we know if one of these particular investments are going to be on the watch list. And from time to time, the three of us will put our heads together. But when you have a team approach, you really dive down deep into the, into the 
particular mutual funds. And one thing you didn't mention, Kyle, or I don't think is manager tenure. You know, if you have a new manager That's in a right. mutual fund, what does that mean to that particular portfolio? We might watch it temporarily. And if it's somebody that's coming on board that's been with the team a while and they're going to take over the day-to-day portfolio management, you know, we might give them a pass. But but also part of the number side of it, and we were talking about this uh, a couple of times in the past, is portfolio management is just not numbers. There's also It's also art to a certain extent. And some funds may do better in a down market than others. Um, and I wanted to bring that up too. I mean, portfolio management is a combination of multiple things. And that also bodes true with mutual funds and to a lesser extent ETFs. But, but, and again, that's where research comes into play. When we go through our research process, we're looking at upside capture. We're looking at downside capture. We're looking at all of these technical and fundamental indicators to determine whether or not we feel that this is going to be the best investment option. But what we have seen from the other big Wall Street firms is, well, let's just shotgun blast and put, let's put six, let's put 10 large cap growth managers. One or two of them have got to hit. One or two of them got to do a good year. Well, what about the rest of your money in the other five or six that are, are not doing well? What, what happens to the overall performance of your portfolio? You know, the other thing you have to determine and figure out, what are you actually paying for the multitude of all of these different investment options? If you do have 20, 30, 40 different exchange-traded funds and mutual funds in your portfolio, and we're just seeing this to be occurring more and more as the years have gone on. And I've had conversations with prospective clients that are with very large, very well-known, very reputable money managers where they have been told to their face that human beings do not manage money anymore at these firms. And they allow computers or algorithms to be making the investment decisions that, as you said, Joe, they're trying to equate money management down to numbers, down to technicals. But I hate to tell you, just Joe, just like you said, and this was something that our father taught Jeff and I many, many moons ago, is that managing money is a science, but it's also an art. And here's the thing that you have to remember. Algorithms are computer programs written by human beings. What if those human beings got their scenarios crossed? Their math was off. Their assumptions were wrong. That that algorithm is worthless. It's absolutely worthless because human beings have to write the actual algorithm. And so what we have seen in these super mega money management firms is they have become victims of their own success, of their own asset gathering to where they physically can't have human beings managing money anymore for their clients. And so then you as a client. Well, they could, but the problem is is it's profits. That's right. It's profits. It's It's profits. So the question you have to ask, if you are a client of one of these type firms, what, what am I paying my management fee for? if a computer is doing it. So I'm getting charged all these management fees for the internal expenses for the exchange traded funds and the mutual funds. Then I pay a portfolio management fee on top of that. But you're telling me that you're having a computer make the decisions because you're just such a giant super tanker of a money manager. You know, the question I would be asking is what happens if there's a dramatic event in the market? How fast can you move? How fast can you make changes in my portfolio? And they're not going to be able to answer that question and give you a definitive answer. Which leads us to really the most important part of 
I think really the most important part of all this is that the person that you're talking to the vast majority of the time at the big mega wall street firms, the list that you gave in that first segment, Kyle and others is the person that you're talking to is not actually the decision maker. The decisions are made someplace else, either by a computer or a human in a computer. And you never, you have no relationship with the decision maker. The only relationship you have is with the person that's charged with maintaining the relationship. And so in in the vast majority of cases, and I have never seen in the history of us doing portfolio reviews, I've never seen any of those wall street firms beat us in terms of management fees, overall cost to the client. So if, if we're, if our, if our value proposition at Davidson Capital Management is you get to actually speak with the people that are actually making every single investment decision and doing it for less than the big Wall Street houses in much more focused portfolios. You know, our, fo- our portfolios are laser focused. The shotgun approach the shotgun approach is like putting five quarterbacks on the field at the same time or putting five pitchers on the mound at the same time. <laughs> you don't do that. What do you do? You put your best players on the field. You got a bench, but you also have the best players on the field at the right time. You don't you don't buy 10 different large cap stock ETFs and mutual funds and put them in the portfolio. That makes no sense whatsoever. Pick the best one. That's what you put in the portfolio. Why can't the big Wall Street houses with all their people and all their computers and all their uh, all the things they have at their disposal research? Why why do they have to build a portfolio where they where, where they shotgun approach everything? Yes, Kyle. I- I can answer part of that question because of proprietary relationships they have with the outside mutual fund managers and exchange traded fund providers and the revenue sharing agreements that they have. Why charge your client a one and a quarter percent management fee where you can charge them one and a quarter percent management fee, then invest their money in a mutual fund that charges another one percent. And then that manager of that 1% mutual fund kicks back to you another quarter of 1%. And now you're charging your client, you're making even more money off of one client because of the kickbacks and the proprietary relationships that they have. So then as if you're a client of these types of firms, you have to ask yourself, are the players on my field the best players or are they the players that pay the biggest kickbacks to the firm that, that I work with? So then the firm that you're working with, you have to think, how objective are they in their investment-making or portfolio design process when they're getting paid X number of dollars from this outside mutual fund manager or this outside exchange-traded fund manager? Are they truly objective? And I can answer that question right now. The answer is absolutely not. They are not objective when they're getting revenues shared with them. Well, let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. 
like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts, where you can leave your comments, and don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning in this weekend's Money Wise program, going into investor education, and uh, really this second hour, we're talking about what Wall Street won't tell you. And so before we went to break, we're talking about the lack of objectivity that we have seen, in our opinion, over the last 30-plus years of being in business with these mega large Wall Street firms from the Merrill Lynch's, the Edward Joneses of the world to the Ameriprises, proprietary relationships, meaning revenue sharing that they are receiving from outside mutual fund managers, from outside exchange traded fund managers, that clouds the objectivity of the firm that an investor is working with to ensure that these particular investments find their way in your portfolio. But the question you have to ask yourself, were these the best choices? Was this the best of breed? Yeah, Joe. Well, sure. Kyle, dovetailing on what you're talking about, and just the other week, I was reviewing a, looking at a particular firm, and one thing we do is, yes, we research our investments. We also research our competitors. We also look at their ADV Part 2, other disclosures. But if they are using proprietary mutual funds, a lot of times – the, the point is, what is Wall Street not telling you? Well, that firm, generally speaking, has to tell you, and it actually said there in black and white, there's a conflict of interest because this particular firm is using their own proprietary funds, and it's disclosed in black and white. So you can actually pull back the curtain on Wall Street, but you have to know how to do your own research on this. And, and most individual investors won't. You can go to Broker Check. You can type in the name of the firm that you working with that you're thinking about working with and you can go into their ADV part two through the SEC website to be able to research what potential conflicts of interest what other proprietary relationships they have I know of one particular firm that has commercials all the time they actually disclose how much in revenue they're receiving on an annual basis from these outside firms and so it it's no surprise that when we do portfolio reviews of prospective clients that are working with this particular firm, why we typically see the top three mutual fund families that provide the biggest amount of revenue to this firm as the only three mutual fund families that show up in a portfolio. And, and, and again, this is, this is what should really be raising question marks above anyone's head that is working with these large firms. And then you also have to ask yourself, why am I working with these larger firms? Does a larger firm that have the marble columns, as dad calls it, the fancy, you know, the fancy offices, the big name brands, the huge marketing campaigns and all the commercials and what have you, does that provide a higher level of comfort to you as an investor, a higher level of security? I mean, that is what they are relying on. This is why they do it. They're relying on their marketing and their fancy offices and all the sharp-dressed folks that work for them to, to, to create this sense of security when what they're doing in the portfolios from our reviews and analysis 
isn't anything to write home to mom about. It's the we're big, and so we must be good if we're this big. Yeah. It just means they're bigger, great marketers. Bigger, bigger doesn't mean better. Bigger just means they, they spend more money on marketing. That's right. They're bigger asset gatherers. And, you know, we've utilized the Money Wise program to educate for the last 16-plus years, to educate investors, to warn them. You know, we'll, we, we will make 10 investment decisions. Six to seven of them will work. Three to four of them won't. We're not saying that we're the end-all, be-all money manager, but the one thing that the, the multiple things that we are is transparent, completely honest and ethical, and as far as from a fee standpoint, there is not another firm on the street that can touch us when it comes to the management fees that we've charged. We have 100%. no conflicts of interest. And we don't have any revenue sharing. No one pays us to own any of their investments. All the investments are vetted and put into and, – and, and client money is invested in it based on the merits of that particular investment, not based on any sort of revenue sharing agreement that we that we don't have with anybody and never have had and never will have yes joe yeah well, joe I, one of the things we're talking about it really about proprietary relationships with mutual funds in mutual funds etfs but the one thing that we always emphasize is that as asset allocation and when you have a down market or you have a correction or during the pandemic uh, or during the financial crisis your first line of defense is what, and we all know what this is. It's asset allocation, right? Individual uh, equity act- select active asset allocation. Correct. So my point being is, if you are interviewing an advisor at a particular firm, and there are some that are out there that do their own research, ask them: Do they create their own asset allocation models? Are they going with what the firm recommends? That's a very that's a question you need to ask. And if that's the case. That's great. Ask them. Okay, when was the last time you made a decision on a particular mutual fund or ETF? Or separately managed account that's that, that's in that allocation. So well, getting it is that's a big part of, of the investment management process and active versus passive management is who's doing the allocations. Well, and, and you brought up a point because yes, we're talking about all the major firms out there, and there are still some diamonds in the rough. There are still some traditional stockbrokers on the financial sales side of the business that deal that still do their own security selections that do manage their own portfolios, there, there are. They're few and far between, but there are. But your line of questioning, Joe, is absolutely dead on. Where are you finding your research? Because if they are selecting their own securities, whether it's mutual funds, exchange traded funds, or individual stocks, where are you getting your research? That is a great question to ask. If they're just getting the research from the firm that employs them, is that truly objective? I mean, I could bore our listeners with the multi-layered process, our proprietary process that we go through in vetting every single security that we select at Davidson Capital Management. But I don't want, especially if people are listening to the show driving, I don't want to put them to sleep and cause any accidents. But when we go and do our research, we're getting our information from a multitude of different sources, not you know, not, not to also exclude our own proprietary screening process of 44 points of screens that we have put into place. Screen one, 22 points. Screen two, an additional 22 points to vet our list of individual stocks. 
when, when we're owning individual stocks. And then we cross-reference that from a multitude of other research firms, not just one, not just our custodian who's Schwab. We look at a multitude of different ones. And so that is another important question to ask. If you do work with an advisor that is actively selecting their own securities, but then to follow up if they are doing that selection, is when was the last time you made changes in your portfolio? What is your performance track record? How old and long is that performance track record? Well, one thing when we're doing research and we use databases to input when we're doing a portfolio review, it's kind of interesting because there are some prospective clients that a year and a half ago have put everything into the software, put all their positions, all our asset allocations and then maybe a year later or a year and a half later, they haven't come on board as a client yet. And I'll say, hey, can you give me that, that statement from that portfolio they reviewed a year and a half ago? If the allocations are the same and the securities are the same and they're charging you 1% or more, you really got to look yourself in the mirror and go, what am I doing? You know, I, and I've, I've seen it multiple times. That is not active management. That is a portfolio that is put together on hope and prayer. And, and from a, a, a scientific versus you know, science versus art perspective. You look set at it. Yeah. Set it and forget yep. it is not a long-term successful investment strategy. And w- we certainly saw this in the financial crisis of 08, 09, uh, where we met with prospective clients <clears throat> that had monies invested with the big wall street firms. And when, when a client tells you, well, I lost 40%, 50%, in in 2008 well i know two things that happened one there was far too much money invested in stocks in that particular portfolio and two no one was managing anything to have lost that much money and that's what the vast i think the vast majority of the uh, of the wall street firms uh count on the statistic that the market's going to be up 80 percent of the time that's just what the statistics say. Seventy four percent, but the, close. Okay. Seventy four percent since nineteen twenty six. And so they, they the play the probabilities. We just stay invested all the time. Yeah. We 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 very rarely sell. We very rarely reallocate. We just we're we're always Buy in it for the long we're long term investors, quote unquote. <clears throat> and so the the other 26% of the time when the markets are down, every once in a while, you'll have a 30% down year. It's very rare, but they're out there. Most of the time, it's down 5 down 10 whatever. But the point of the matter is, is there's no active management occurring. And really, the key to long-term successful investment management it's not necessarily beating the S&P when you have years like when you have back to back or back years of up markets. It's keeping your hole shallow when the markets are down. That's where a real active management comes into play. Yeah, because remember, you lose 50 percent of the value of your portfolio. You have to make 100 percent just to get back to where you started. And I want to pick up on that point on the other side of the break. So let's do that now. Let's take our next break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, 
take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your money wise guys. You can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send our emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts, where you can comment, and don't forget to like the show. So in our last segment of this weekend's Money Wise program and wrapping up our investor education on what Wall Street won't tell you, and right before we went to break, we were talking about what, what, what we truly believe what builds and maintains long-term wealth. It's not capturing every percentage gain in up years. It's keeping your hole shallower in down years, playing a great defense. That is the best long-term strategy for offense. So we were talking about all the major brokerage firms of every name brand that you could think of that has commercials and print ads, what have you, going through th- situations like the financial crisis or even going back to the dot-com bubble bursting. As Jeff said in the last segment, when the stock market 74% of the time since 1926 has had positive returns, when we have those abnormal years where we're down, have a 30% down year, like during the financial crisis, or have dramatic, long, protracted pullbacks in the market, brokerage firms are just going to say, stay the course. Just stay the course. You don't want to You don't want to make any adjustments. You don't want to make any changes. Well, we would recommend, yeah, you don't go 100% to cash. We would agree with every Wall Street firm in existence. You never go 100% cash because that is a failed strategy. But playing a great defense with the proper allocation, active asset management, very stringent proprietary security screening process, and keeping that hole shallower allows you to recover that much faster. Because let's say you go down 50% and you need 100% to get back to where you started. And to get to that 100%, it's going to take the next two to three years to get there. Well, what if your portfolio was only down 15% and then you were able to get back in at a lower price with the cash that was raised because there was active management and you played active defense, your portfolio would be far ahead of a portfolio that just was static during this downturn and didn't play defense. Another reason why Wall Street doesn't pay defense is because of revenues. Absolutely right. Because if they if, if they were to reduce securities in, a, in an investor's portfolio and go to cash for a period of time, those that that those securities that were sold would not be generating any revenue sharing for the firm because they would no longer be in the portfolio. And we saw that a lot with one particular firm, which I'm not going to name, that has a lot of revenue sharing agreements. Uh, but that's that's probably the biggest reason why Wall Street doesn't sell when 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 times get you know capitalism the nature of capitalism is there's going to be booms and then there's going to be periods where things are very quiet flat if you will and then sometimes they're busts that's just the nature of capitalism and so in the bust times if Wall Street Who's all, who would already be suffering because it was bus times, would go in and start selling in mass securities out of their clients' portfolios. Remember, it's buy low, sell high. If they did that, 
then they would also be cutting their own throats and reducing their revenues even more. And so they don't. And that's why we, time and time again, we hear in the, when we, the tough times, there will be tough times again. There always are. We'll see these same folks in our offices telling us their story. Well, you know, we were doing so well for so long. And that's the other thing. You know, people get complacent. Investors get complacent when the markets do well for extended period of times. They don't care about revenue sharing. They don't care about way too many. They, they don't care about management fees. They don't care about the, the, the excess number of securities in their portfolio. They don't care about how they vote, have 10 large cap mutual funds in their portfolio and 20 small cap mutual funds in their portfolio because every month I'm getting a statement and it's going higher and I'm making more money and I got a big smile on my face. And you get complacent. But then when it turns, it's like you come visit you know, someone like Davidson Capital and we look at the portfolio and so, say, well, here's the reason why the portfolio – failed so miserably in the down markets for this, 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 and this. Oh, and by the way, you're paying this for all of this, this failed strategy. And people are like, wow, I wish I'd have known this. I wish I'd have heard you earlier. I wish I'd have heard if this we had segment. A dollar, if we had a dollar for every time we have heard that over the last 30 plus years, and we hear it all the time. And so our recommendation would be to save yourself the grief, not getting complacent, as we have always said, and take this right from Joe, stealing your thunder, Joe, knowing what you own. Well, if, if you don't truly know what you own, you don't truly know what your asset allocation model looks like, you don't know how much you're paying, you don't know if it's being actively managed, this is why we offer portfolio reviews and analysis to prospective clients to get a second opinion from a team of portfolio managers that have over 70 years of combined experience that truly manage money in-house, that do our own research, that select our own securities. And oh, by the way, we haven't said it this whole segment, we eat our own cooking, meaning we personally own the same securities our clients own. So you can bet that they've been vetted to an inch of their life because if they're going to be going into my portfolio or Jeff's or to Joe's, they're darn good enough to be in our clients' portfolios, and they're going to be properly managed. So save yourself the grief before that downturn or on the other side of a downturn when you've lost 20, 25, 30% of your nest egg's net worth because you felt that, well, I was with so-and-so firm. They're so well-known. They've been around for 70 or 80 years. They have hundreds of billions of dollars under management. They're supposed to be good because I hear about them all the time. What? Why did they not perform for me? And this is what happens. They're great asset gatherers. They're great victims, marketers. Great marketers. They're the victims of their own success at asset gathering to where they can no longer truly actively manage money hands-on and leave it up to a computer algorithm that was also written by a human being that could have a lot of different failed strategies in that algorithm. And wind, and who winds up becoming the victim of all of this? You, the investor. This is why we do portfolio reviews. To peel, to pull that curtain back, and to tell you and to teach you and let you know about the things that Wall Street won't tell you. 
Well, with that, we're coming up to the end of this weekend's Money Wise program. Again, if you'd like to give us a call, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. You can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, subscribe to the Money Wise podcast on Apple Podcasts. And with that, for Jeff, our good man Joe, this is Kyle Davidson wanting to thank you for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. And to your financial health, we will talk to you next week. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. I've got my father, John, my brother, Jeff, and I'm your host, Kyle Davidson. We are diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at one 800 275 2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So for the second hour of this weekend's MoneyWise program, um, as we normally use the second hour to go into investor education, you know, there was a, a topic and a subject matter that uh, that I've wanted to to talk about for some time. And I've been thinking about it all week, and it, and it really talks about uh, investors' behavior and improving investors' behavior. And so doing some research and really where this spur, you know, really where I got the spark to want to look into this and research it is several weeks ago, uh, Dalbar released a study and they release a study on an annual basis talking about investor behavior and their typical rates of return. Um, and, and what their experience has been as managing money of their on their own. And, and from time to time when I meet with prospective clients and current clients, we talk about investor psychology and how investor psychology can do a lot of damage to portfolios. So in my research, I actually ran across a presentation that was put together by the mutual fund family Munder. I want to give them the credit for, for putting this presentation together, which I thought was just fantastic presentation that I wanted to pass along to our listeners because it's got a lot of good food for thought, but it also includes some of these Dalbar statistics about investor psychology and the rates of return that individual investors have been achieving over a very long period of time, in fact, the 20-year time period, and how critical it is to have the connection with an investment professional to assist them, but also how to not allow humans, the, your human psyche become a roadblock to investing for your future. So looking at this presentation, you know, historic, historic invested investment behavior really threatens the ability to accomplish obje- objectives and achieve returns and achieve returns. The result is is that investors are not going to reach their goals, whether it be retirement, saving for higher education, what have you. Investment returns may be far more dependent on investment behavior than market performance. And so investors who hold their investments typically are going to earn a higher return over time 
than those who attempt to time the market. And there's an old saying that, that I use is it's about time in the market and not timing. So looking at emotional decisions, you know, these emotional decisions are often based on biases and not objective analysis. So potential investor problems that folks run into is identifying, first they're looking and trying to identify trends that don't exist in the marketplace. Uh, they also overweight information in the press. That brings up the example that we've talked about for many years of the client that came in to our office in 2008 and wanted us to liquidate his accounts because Glenn Beck told him that he needed to liquidate all of his investments. That's yep. a that's a particularly egregious example of someone overweighing information from someone in the press that has absolutely no investment experience whatsoever and as a matter of fact has a bias towards promoting a investment philosophy that enriches their advertisers which in turn enriches the person that is delivering the message i.e. all the gold ads that you hear on shows like Glenn Beck or uh, the the conserv really the conservative side of the aisle. I'm trying to think of some of those other guys. Glenn Beck, uh, Sean Hannity. Sean Hannity. You know, you listen to these shows. Every one of them's got a gold ad on. I think Limbaugh, as at one time, may still. I haven't listened to Limbaugh in so long. Run runs gold ads. Mm -hmm. And and you know, and again, we talk about on the show all the time about overweighting the information from the press. Because, again, this 24-hour news cycle we feel is doing a lot more damage to the investor psyche than if they just turned it off and tune it out a little bit more. Or if they do continue to listen to it, to take things with a little bit of a grain of salt and realize that the information is going to be coming to them with a certain bent to it, depending upon who's the person that's providing the information. So, you know, something else talking about emotional decisions and, and, and decisions based on bias and not objective analysis. You know, a lot of investors, I mean, investors giving greater weight to the equivalent amount of gains and losses. And really it comes down to, and, and I ask this question all the time of prospective clients or even current clients, is remembering losses more than gains. And that's one thing that, that in particular really holds investors back is is always having i mean losses from 2000 losses from 2008 still being so fresh in the front of their mind uh, that's holding them back from making decisions to get involved with the stock market you know something else from an emotional decision standpoint is overestimating their own ability to manage their wealth and i know with a lot of the self-help books out there with a lot of the blogs and a lot of the websites i think there's a false sense of security that can be built into an investor's mindset saying, you know what, I can do this on my own and I can do better doing this part-time on my own. And I can tell you, you know, with 70-plus years of combined experience sitting in this studio, we can tell you that you cannot manage money part-time and be successful over the long term. It's just cannot happen. It will not happen because things move so much quicker in this day and age. And then finally, you know, this all can lead to repeatedly making the same mistakes when you have these biases and you don't take an objective analysis when it comes to investing. So let's talk about the identifying of trends or patterns 
where none exist. You know, one thing that in individual investors do all the time is chasing the hot dots or basically chasing the hot stock or chasing the hot investment du jour for many years. Hot asset class. Hot asset class. For many years, it's been what? Precious metals. It's been all about gold. The late 90s was internet silver. stocks. Uh, and then, but gold here, especially this century, uh, or really precious metals in general, have been one of the hottest areas. And then, you know, here uh, lately, in the last uh, three, four years, it's been social media. Uh, we've got the Amazons of the world, the Teslas of the world, mm-hmm. uh, th- that have been certainly being chased uh, by, by investors and bidding them up quite a bit. They've had co- they've had a, not, a, a pretty uh, Good correction here in the last few months, which I think has contributed to the, the, this market uh, kind of so not experiencing the kind of gains that we thought that that should have here in the first four months of the year. And and before we go to the commercial break, another issue that investors run into is the gambler's fallacy, believing that one can predict when trends will reverse themselves and feeling that they're a, a good timer of knowing when to pull the trigger. So we're going to pause right there, take another commercial break. When we come back, we'll be continuing improving investment behavior, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after these words. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the MoneyWise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So talking about improving investor behavior, going through a presentation, talking about investor psychology, before we went to commercial break, we were talking about a lot of issues that investors run into, in particular those that are that are managing their own assets. And one one big issue that investors run into is chasing the hot dots or basically chasing the stock du jour or the sector du jour. Uh, we also talked about the gambler's fallacy, believing that one can predict trends are going to – being able to identify and predict when trends are going to reverse themselves – uh, another issue that that individual investors run into is focusing on investments doing well, but ignoring those investments that are not doing well in their portfolio. And I've run into this quite often when I do portfolio reviews and analysis, when I, I talk to prospective clients that are very happy about being in a position that pays a 10, 12, 13% dividend yield, and they're completely honed and focused in on the fact that they're giving a 12 to 13% dividend yield, and they're not realizing that they've lost 50% or 75% of their original investment, of their principal, because the value of the stock has just plummeted, but they were dazzled by just the yield. So let's talk about uh, Dalbar. Now, Dalbar is a company that was gathering a lot of investor data uh, they've been doing this for years and years and years. They just came out with a report that has information through 2013. And so what Dalbar found in their survey is that clients are motivated by two main emotions, and we've talked about them on this show for years and years and years. The two emotions are fear and greed. 
they're not motivated by sound investment practice. Investment returns are typically typically increase when there is a disciplined behavior. And I mean that's one thing that we've preached on the Money Wise program going back to 2005. It's about having a very strict philosophy as we do here at Davidson Capital Management as a balanced manager. A, a disciplined behavior has many different that's aspects. Right. You know, one of those and I think one of the most important parts of being disciplined is especially in a retirement account is participating in your 401k contributing as as much as you can if you can contribute the maximum amount to your 401k that obviously that's going to give you the the highest probability of reaching your investment goals in retirement contributing that money every single month and investing on a consistent basis time and time again and I've got dozens of examples of clients that are in identical investments over long periods of time and the ones that are contributing to their accounts on a monthly, bi-weekly basis are outperforming those clients that don't contribute anything at all with identical investments, identical allocations because it gives us the the investment manager the ability to to buy could always be in the market buying securities maybe you know like right now we've had opportunities to buy some of these funds at lower prices because the markets have been down mm-hmm. and by dollar cost averaging all the time and having the discipline to contrib- contributing to your retirement and even if you're not contrib- if you if you've maxed out your 401k and you still have money that's left over to to put into some sort of retirement account Get a, get a tax, get a, just a, a regular brokerage account, start contributing consistently to that one, too, and investing consistently in, in, that, in that type of account. Over the long period, it is going to pay tremendous dividends. That's right. So, as you said, Jeff, disciplined behavior could mean investment philosophy and strategy. It could mean paying yourself first and participating and saving for your nest egg. Now, the Dalbar study also... Uh, went and calculated the guest right ratio. And what the guest right ratio is is the percentage of time the average equity investor correctly guessed the direction of the market over a 20-year period ending December 31st of 2012 was 63%. So a little bit more than half. Now, granted, how do they gather this data? I have no idea. I'm not sure. I mean, again, they have some type of matrix and process they go through to gather this data. The bottom line is investors are driven to do the wrong thing by the psychological factors that overtake their rational decision making. And that's what they that's again what what Dalbar is finding in their studies. And so as we get further into this Dalbar study, we look at uh investors are driven to do the wrong thing by psychological factors that overtake rational decision making and so they've actually listed a number of psychological factors that every investor has when they're going through their decision-making process. And so this kind of going through all of these that are presented by Dalbar, the first one is we have loss aversion. And this is when an investor is expecting to find high returns with low risk. And I think that's any utopian dream of any investor is being able to get a high rate of return with little to no risk. Well, isn't this 
in kind of a, a selling or a attempted selling point for equity index, the new Oh, brother, did you hit that one right on the head? You're absolutely right. I mean, they use this psych. I mean, again, marketing firms are looking at psychological factors that drive investors' decision making, and they're putting it into their presentations. And like you said, this loss aversion, all the upside, none of the downside. Every, throwing the guaranteed word right. out there is what it's. We're psychologically wired to be attracted to those kinds of pitches. And so this loss aversion causes the investor to search for investments that either don't exist and results in either taking no action or later discovering that the selected investment fails to meet their expectations, a la equity indexed annuities. And, and let's give an example. Recently, you, we, we'd, we've seen all sorts of equity indexed annuities over the years. Yes. And I can tell you that our typical experience for an investor that has held an equity indexed annuity, say over at least a five year time period, that they typically return about a third of what you would have received had you just put the money into an S and P five hundred index fund. Oh, if you're just talking straight S and P, it's even it's even less than a third, Jeff. Yeah. It's less than a third. I did a comparison on a most recent prospective client of our moderate allocation, our middle of the road more conservative allocation model that we use with more retirees or pending retirees at Davidson Capital Management, and their returns were a third or worse compared to our returns in a balanced allocation. So if you're talking 100% stock... So, so what we mean by a third or worse, like for five years, the the moderate allocation might have returned 65% total return mm-hmm. over a five-year period. Net of fees and expenses. Net of all fees, all expenses. And an, an equity index annuity might have returned uh, 20%. Or less. Yeah. Total return. Total return. And the, re- and the difference between the two is... Well, that 40% is going to the insurance company. So, you know, talking about these psychological factors, again, we talked about loss aversion. Another one is narrow framing, and that's when you make decisions without considering all the implications. The result is a quick decision-making with the consequences that facts are uncovered after inappropriate investments are made. So you make a quick decision, and then you uncover some more facts after the fact that you made that decision and you're like, uh-oh. This fits very well with that example I just used about that the client that came in and said, liquidate my portfolio because Glenn Beck said to. And then, it, what, one week later, two weeks later, Glenn Beck went on, on air and said, hey, I'm a I, schlub. I, I, I said this on my show here recently, but don't listen to me because I don't know anything about investments. So the, the inappropriate investment that was made was pulling the investments. That's that right. was the inappropriate investment, was taking everything out and putting it into cash. That's right. So here's another psychological factor that affects investors and their decision-making is anchoring. Now, anchoring is a very powerful communication method, but can mislead investors unless it is used with caution. So investors can be misled about the stability of an investment, if analogies are used to represent stability and analogies of growth can also lead to unrealistic beliefs and expectations again leads back to indexed annuities when i read this i just think of sales pitches that are more prevalent 
in the marketplace and even on different radio shows across the state. And again, using now this psychological effect of anchoring, you know, presenting and misleading investors with the stability and the potential performance of this and, product. And, and we've been mentioning equity index annuities, for, for example, but there are other examples such as private placement, REITs. That's right. You know, they're sold based on their yield, but mm-hmm. we kind of gloss over the fact that how illiquid they are and how the, the value of the security could go down and how uh, those, those, t- those aspects of the investment are not discussed. But the focus is all on the yield. That's right, and, and not and not you know can I get my money out if I need to liquidate? How fast can I get a hold of my money? And what is going to be the underlying value of my principal investment? Kind of going back to that, I'm getting a ten percent yield, but I've lost fifty percent of my principal investment. Well, how is that beneficial to your portfolio? Well, we're coming to the bottom of the hour, so we're going to take the break. When we come back, we'll be continuing improving investor behavior and we'll do that after this you're listening to money wise with davidson capital management we'll be back after the break welcome back you're listening to money wise with davidson capital management if you'd like to learn more about the money wise guys you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on monday you can reach us in our local corpus christi office at 906 zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five Two one six two, and if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So, continuing our presentation in the second hour of improving investor behavior, and and again going into uh, psychological factors that Dalbar, who is a a financial industry information gathering company that does a lot of surveys. You know, I wanted to do something talking about the psychological factors and psychological effects that individual investors have uh, or, or how the psychological mindsets can, can hurt investors' portfolios over the long term. And so we were going through the different psychological factors that have this effect. We've talked about loss aversion and narrow framing and anchoring. But we talk about next is mental mental accounting, and that's when you take undue risk in one area and avoid rational risk in others. And I would say the best example, Jeff, in this area would be in precious metals. That would be that would be one area. I could I would also say that in the, to us in this market environment, taking risk in long maturity fixed income securities that's right and avoiding the the quote unquote risk that is inherent in, in investing in stocks to us and this may seem odd to some people listening to the show is we believe there's more risk in owning long maturity fixed income securities whether they be municipal government corporate than there is in owning the equivalent stocks of the same companies we see more risk in owning a 30-year Exxon bond than we do maybe owning Exxon stock or AT&T or Verizon or you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of other companies. So, so even though you're talking about gold in particular, because we've seen a lot of uh, many clients that have, that have had large positions in gold, but I could also say the same thing for cash, you know, just plain yeah. old straight cash. They're, the risk that they're take, uh, investors are taking by having large amounts of cash in their portfolios is they're not getting any growth whatsoever. 
So, so mental accounting can be as damaging to returns as any other psychological factor since investors can be misled into inappropriate investments. Uh, another psychological factor that can affect your portfolio, now this is interesting, diversification. Now in diversification, you're obviously seeking to reduce risk, but simply using different sources. Now it's extremely valuable investment strategy, but can also be misused to create a false sense of protection that results in potential return-killing action. And I think the best example of this, Dad, is you talk about Jim Cramer when people call up and say, am I diversified? Yes. And they have three five. or four stocks. And five. five. Yeah, five stocks saying, am I diversified? And Cramer's saying, well, you're in this industry, you're in that industry. Yeah, you're diversified. So you have your entire portfolio in five stocks. That is not, in our opinion, diversification. Something else where diversification saying, yeah, I'm diversified. What if you owned a bunch of different companies in the same industry? And I hate to quit picking on gold, but gold miners, for instance. I have reviewed a portfolio this year that had a ton of different gold miners and, and different precious metal miners. And guess what? They feel that they're diversified. But they're concentrated in one industrial arena. And so that's, again, when we talk about diversification, we're talking stocks, bonds, large cap, mid cap, small cap, international bonds, domestic bonds, short maturity bonds. Cash. Cash. That's diversification. It's not five stocks of five different industrial companies and that's it. Or having 15 companies in one industrial sector, that's not diversification. So be very, very careful and understand what true diversification means. Uh, another psychological factor, according to Dalbar, and this is a classic, hurting. Copying the behavior of others, even in the face of unfavorable outcomes. Investors that go along with the crowd, simply because there is a crowd, tend to avoid catastrophic errors, but seldom achieve above-average results. High returns are not achieved by herding. And, I mean, again, that herd mentality, I mean, it has been reported in so many different publications how... You know, again, long-term success. I mean, even to thinking more of a contra you know, being more of a contrarian, as opposed to following the herd. Another psychological factor is regret. You know, treating errors of commission, which basically means decisions that you have made, you're treating them more seriously than errors of omission or a decision that you should have made. That basically means being extremely hard on yourself for deciding to buy this stock or this mutual fund as opposed to something else. And investors who, defear, who fear decision-making lose their upside potential through inaction or reversal. Inaction can prevent losses caused by poor decisions but is unlikely to produce higher potential returns. So again, inaction. You don't want to have inaction. Another psychological effect, media response. Before you go into that, yeah. I think the inaction kind of ties in with, with folks overestimating their own ability to manage their, their wealth. That's right. Because they get too busy. Mm -hmm. And when you get too busy you, 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 and you run out of time or you're too tired, you've got other responsibilities, then you can't, you cannot, take that you can't set aside enough time to really look at your portfolio understand what's going on and take action when action needs to be taken that's right 
And so here's another one that, again, goes along with the media. Media response. It's a tendency. It's another psychological effect. It's a tendency to react to news without reasonable examination. Going back to that Glenn Beck example, familiar media sources have become less reliable as they compete with newer, faster, and low-cost outlets. At the same time, new media outlets seldom have very thorough authentication. The question of reliability rises, raise, excuse me, raises the concern about reacting to news. So again, that media response, and we've talked about that ad nauseum on this program. And then a finally, psychological factor that holds back and affects investors' portfolios over the long term is optimism. Now, Dad, I know we've used on this program, what's the bad four-letter word? Hope. Hope. The belief that good things happen to me and bad things happen to others. Optimistic investors hold on to investments after it becomes evident that losses are not likely to be recovered. Holding on to poor investments is yet another way psychological factors can reduce potential returns. Hope is a bad four-letter word. So with all this said, let's talk about the performance of the average equity investor. And this is a 20-year statistic, and this is through 12-31-2013. According to Dalbar, the average equity investor's return for 20 years annualized is 5.02%. Now, here's the tough pill to swallow. The S&P 500 index, same time period, up 9.22%, almost double what the individual average equity investor has realized in their portfolio for a 20-year time period because of the psychological factors that we just went over. I mean, I think that speaks volumes. I'd be curious, and I know you didn't do this, I'd be curious to know what a, a moderate allocation portfolio had done during that time period. I know it it's going to be close to that. To I mean, when we're talking about the S&P 500, we're talking about a 100% stock portfolio, which is not something that we would recommend to any of our listeners to put 100% of their investments in stock. The optimum rate of return for us lies somewhere between these two numbers. But because you know, 5% is very low. You know, most people plugged into their their investment projections for the future when they were when they're trying to figure out how much money they needed for retirement and and they and they used a particular rate of return in their investment portfolio uh i don't think anybody was using five percent well a 20-year bond 20 years ago would have yielded more than five percent mm-hmm. which means if you just bought a 20-year bond 20 years ago and held it for the 20 years you would have done better than the average investor from the study. I, I think the average percent in stock. Yeah, the average investor, by and large, I, I would say, sold sells out at the bottom and is slow to get back in again. Well, you know, I I think again, Jeff, when you when you allow your emotions to dictate your buys and sells, I mean, I think emotion, and along with these psychological factors that we went into but emotion your emotion your emotional attachment to your assets and your nest egg again i i think is what's causing so many investors to make these bad decisions and one huge advantage of having 
a professional money management team like a Davidson Capital Management, an RIA that has discretionary control, is they help separate that emotion from your nest egg because you're relying on their expertise and their experience of being in the trenches of managing assets to make those decisions for you. You're you're separating your site those psychological factors from your assets because they're out of your control. And by taking those assets out of your control, that's eliminating is it's eliminating a lot more emotion and it becomes a lot more difficult for you to try to pull the wrong trigger on making a decision in your portfolio you know and you know again an old saying that investors would have i mean here's something an investor would say to themselves you know a stock's historic high was fifty dollars but then it declines rapidly the next thought in an investor's mind is well, once my stock gets back to 50 i'll sell and that is hope hope Okay, well, we're going to take our last commercial break, so we're going to take the break, come back. We'll be wrapping up this and proving investor behavior. After we come back from break, you're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So we've been talking this whole hour about improving investor behavior, and as Dad said, the commercial break, we've been talking about all the bad things investors have been doing, and I promise you we're getting ready to get to how to improve investor behavior. But before we get there, I want to talk about, again, the most common and potentially most damaging behavior that investors can have in their portfolio. Number one is an over-concentration in a particular position and it can lead to unwarranted risk. So again, owning too much gold, owning too much in one particular industrial sector. Too much fixed income. Too much fixed too income. Much, too much cash. That's right. It's important to understand that the market does not generally reward those who take risk that can be diversified away. So the reason why, again, we maintain a balanced philosophy of Davidson Capital Management, we've had for the past quarter century and for the next quarter century, we'll continue to have that balanced allocation. Remember that the market is not going to reward those non-diversified huge risks that you take in concentrating in your portfolio in one particular area. And also you have to remember, investors are not adequately rewarded for the additional risk that they're assuming. You know, failure to diversify a portfolio, you know, if a portfolio is not diversified enough, the potential losses may be greater during market downfalls and macroeconomic driven events. So again, this is why it's key to have diversification, have a balanced allocation, and again, to have it actively managed. That's an absolute key. So... How do we correct the behavior? You know, how do investors correct the behavior? Well, first and foremost is having an asset allocation, an initial asset allocation model and an ongoing asset allocation model, and an allocation model that is rebalanced. It's not set it and forget it because we have seen that more times than we can count doing portfolio Set it and forget reviews. it is, is one of the, the most common asset allocation that is typically found with uh, a relationship that is more sales oriented than it is active management or meaning 
the investor has a relationship with a full-service broker. Uh, they, they're not in the business of managing portfolios. They, they typically set an initial allocation and when, the, when the money's deposited, and they move on. When you buy an annuity, the initial asset allocation is set, and then that's it. You move on. So another way to correct investor behavior is setting and managing realistic expectations. If you're in a moderate allocation that's actively managed, you know, don't don't expect to be seeing a 15 to 20 percent annualized rate of return. That's just not realistic. I, I, you know, today when we when I see prospective clients, the issue is not having the 15% plus, the, the double-digit type return expectations like we saw in the late 1990s. Mm-hmm. What it is is it's saying, oh, I want a 10% return, but I don't want, but I only want 20% of my money in stocks. That's what we're seeing now. There, there, there's a there's a aversion for risk, but the, the, the return uh, expectations are reasonable by and large, but what isn't reasonable is the mix of assets to achieve that return. And that's where we have to say, now, you have to understand, if you want an 8%, 9% return, you're going to have to have 70% of your money in stocks given the current level of interest rates. And that's when the investors say, well, wait a second, I don't want to have 70% of my money in stocks. And so you have to bring down those expectations based on how much risk you're willing to take. So another way investors can help improve their returns and their behavior is maintaining true diversification. Not diversifying in multiple companies in one industrial sector. It's having mid-cap asset classes, large-cap asset classes, small-cap asset classes in a multitude of different industries. Foreign and domestic. Foreign and domestic, fixed income and equity, cash holdings, maintain that true diversification. Another great way to help improve returns, and Jeff, I know you said this earlier in the hour, dollar cost averaging into investments. If you have a 401k, if you have an IRA, if you have a taxable account, setting up monthly contributions, or if you're in a 401k, per pay period contributions, we know in 25 years of business, we've had clients that have been with us from the very beginning, and we can go back and look at the two different clients in the same allocation model. Model one client that's putting in money every month, another client that doesn't put another dollar in after their initial investment, and the rates of return and the same allocation model is shocking. We've seen dollar cost averaging work with our own eyes, with our own client base. It's somewhere, it it's somewhere between two and three percent per year compounded, which doesn't sound like a lot, but get out of cal- that's a difference between a 7% compounded return, and a 10% compounded return. And that adds up to serious money over the long period. Absolutely. Another way to help improve your returns, staying in the market. Now, again, it's time in, not timing. And if you have a proper allocation, you have an asset allocation model, you have true diversification in your dollar cost averaging, even when we have very choppy waters, you know, again, what we're trying to convey is the all-in, all-out strategy is not going to work because you're never going to be able to time it perfectly either way. So if you have an active, actively managed, balanced allocation over the long term, you will be rewarded. And finally, and I, I, God, this point is so good. I'm glad it's the last point. 
investors need to stay focused on their goals that they have for their nest egg in their portfolio and not be focused on the markets and the day-to-day gyrations. And Stay focused on your long-term goals. I cannot say that any stronger or clearer. And that is so hard to do in an environment now where we are saturated in media. It is. Via it is. television and gazillion channels of TV. The Internet, whether it's on a computer sitting at our desk at work, a computer sitting on our desk at home, or our smartphones that are tied into CNN news feeds or whatever, or CNBC, CNBC news feeds. Market Watch. There's, you have to consume media. Uh, Lightly? Well, go on a diet. <laughs> <laughs> the Atkins diet of... Uh, of uh, media consumption, too much of too much media can lead to being paralyzed making decisions. And we've learned from this Dalbar study of psychological effects on investing and what creates poor investment returns is the lack of being able to make a decision because you're being paralyzed by fear. So, Dad, I'm glad we kept you awake during this presentation just barely, but it's something that I've been thinking about all week. I wanted to f- get some good, you know, meaty statistics and just information to pass along and the psychological effects and, and how they can affect both positively and negatively a portfolio. So we would like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. Again, if you'd like to give us a call on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. For my father, John, my brother, Jeff, this is Kyle Davidson saying have a fantastic weekend into your financial health. We'll talk to you next week.